Uh, the sermon series is talking about making sense in a world that is absolutely senseless. Uh, senseless. We have nonsense going on in our world today. And if you come over to my house, Shadley and I, where our house is, we'll have a map. We have a map in our front room. And part of it is I just love looking at maps. How many of you are map people? You love a map, right? So anyway, one of the things I want to do is start with a map. And so we are going through four weeks, and I want you to see the road map of where we've been. This four weeks is starts with the first chapter of of uh, 1 John, which says, this is who you really are and why you need to know Jesus. So it says, here's who we really are. We are sin-stained people who we fall short of our own goals. We fall short of the perfection of God. Here's what God did through his son, Jesus Christ, to bridge the gap to bring our unholiness to a holy God and be forgiven. Then you get to chapter 2, and there were two, two sermons that were broken up into that. The first part of it was this, is that Jesus now begins to define our reality, so it is knowing him that makes sense out of life. He gives you actually a context. He becomes that place where it is a rock, and everything else is judged against that, because everything else around us is moving. The one fixture of it is this, is the truth of God sets our lives free. Then the third week it was this, is that believing the right things makes you strong and creates confidence and courage in your life. One of the things going on in our world, you all, is this, is that our world is constantly saying we're changing the goalposts. We're going to do it this way. No, we'll do it this way. And then we'll go this way and we'll go this way. And that is a symptom of the reality called relativism. And relativism says, I'll do whatever's right in my own eyes. And by the way, we'll have this constant negotiation, this constant argument is what you see going on in a senseless world around us is if what you say is right and what you say is right and what you say is right, what do we do when we contradict? We argue, and we not only argue, we force and shame and degrade and push against people in ways that destroy a culture rather than actually building one up. That's the nonsense world we live in. Well, after teaching those two things about what it means to be right with Jesus and then how to define our reality and then to have confidence and courage because we're following the ways of Christ, the next place he goes into to teach about that is 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. And then he does something beautiful there. And that is, he says, the place it begins is in the family. The place it begins is in the family because in our families is where we, we are taught to know and understand the truth and love of God. In fact, it says in that verse that God lavishes upon us his goodness by making us his children now. So when God wants all those blessings and gifts to be a part of our lives, he does so in a way that says, I will build you up, I'll bless you, I'll forgive you, I'll encourage you, I'll challenge you, I'll teach you right from wrong, I'll teach you right from wrong and encourage you to live in right from wrong so that when you face life, you'll have courage and you'll have confidence. And then from there, what I want you to know is we begin by teaching it and understanding it in a home. How does God do it? What I love about God is he is so unbelievable that he's so smart, he knows how to make it practical. He says this, I'll adopt you into my family and you'll learn from me. I'll adopt you into my family and you'll learn from me. And if you're a father or a mother or an aunt or an uncle, when you're adopted into the family of God, it becomes a template for how we now then go and love and adopt into our lives those children that God puts into our world. And so we're going to look at that today and we're going to talk about it in detail. But what we're going to do in that process is, is I want to give you another roadmap, okay? Because here's where people get confused so often. As they go, okay, I'm adopted into the family of God, which is this process of being justified. And so 
that's it, right? I'm in. It's good. You should, I'm good. I'm happy. I'm whatever. And so you kind of get adopted in and go, I don't know what the family, you get like a little shirt that says, I'm in the family. What does that look like? Let me clarify a couple things. Romans chapter five, verse one says that we are made right with God through the justification that Jesus Christ does for us on the cross. So hear me on this. Justification is coming to Jesus Christ, coming to God and being made right with God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. You entered into that family of God, not because you had a Willy Wonka ticket, not because you had the grip to be able to buy your way in, not because you were self-righteous and you came in because you got this beautiful, wonderful halo and you're all set on your own. We all come to Jesus the same way. Hear me, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. All come with a need to be forgiven. And what Christ does on the cross is he justifies us and it's there that we have the right. John 1.12 says we have the right to become children of God. From there, God has another thing for us and that is, is that he calls on us to now come to him in that process of being justified. They were sitting there in Jerusalem and the first sermon of the church was ever preached and he preached his sermon and he said, you need Jesus Christ. And they said, okay, what should we do? And Peter responded and said, "Be baptized, repent, repent of your sins, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the process of being justified leads to the process of being sanctified. If any of you grew up in a legalistic home or in a legalistic idea, um, a lot of times, and let me just paint with a broad brush, and please don't take it as me being rude, but if you grew up in a place where you earn your way into heaven, what are the religions that you earn your way into heaven? Hinduism, Islam, uh, in, in, in our part of the world, uh, a lot of times Catholicism, you have to earn your way into heaven when the truth of it is they do have grace. It's just sometimes the application of it looks like you got to earn your way in, right? You feel guilty for not feeling guilty. If you feel, feel, if you feel guilty for not feeling guilty, oftentimes that means you grew up in a very legalistic home, right? That happens in Mormonism as well, the notion of earning your way into heaven. Lo and behold, Jesus comes along and says, you are justified by my work alone. Now, now, hear me on this. Go live like it. Go live like it. The most confusing place to be in the world is to have received Jesus Christ as your Lord, uh, as your Savior, but to look at him and go, you know, I still want to kind of run the show over here, right? Thank you very much. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to guide my life, direct my life, do whatever I want, and all like that. I just have my ticket, you know, kind of like when the screen opens up in the sky and the trumpet blasts and they're going to show the video where we all go to heaven. I'm in. But over here, I'm going to live however I want. This right here is called lukewarm Christianity, it's called lukewarm. It doesn't work. In fact, we'll read here in just a moment about what it is. The Gospels of John, you need to understand something here because it's powerfully written. And I know I'm a math guy, so follow my linear thinking a little bit here. Uh, but the Gospel of John is the same, was written by the same author as the first and second and third John, which is also the same author who wrote the book of Revelation, inspired by God in all three. He, see his progression with me for just a second. So let's go to the book of John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, uh, and see what he says in his first writings, right? He says this, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. In other words, he's saying, Jesus did a lot of things. This book was inspired by God to do what? 
But these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The Gospel of John was written with one purpose in mind, to show you the life of Christ, to show you that he died for your sins, to show you he resurrected from the dead, and to show you that you can believe in him. Okay? The Gospel of John, if you want to think about it, is like this. It was written so that you would be justified. Now look at 1 John chapter 5. We're not quite there yet in our study. We're still only in chapter 3 today. But look at why he wrote the whole letter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the same author looks at the same crowd who now believes. Remember this, 1 John was written to believers. So that, that first, uh, this book is written to believers. He says, these things I have written to you who believe. So in other words, you, you actually heard, seen, received, and walking with him, justified in the name of the Son of God, so that you might know you have eternal life. Question. Do you know you have eternal life? Do you know that? The, the, the book of 1 John and all those chapters we've studied up to today and the book and this chapter we're studying today says this. You are justified by the work of Jesus Christ uh, on the cross. You are sanctified and led by the work of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And if you are walking in that sanctification you will gain courage and confidence as a follower of Christ. If you're walking in timidity, if you're walking worried, if you're walking scared, if you're walking going, I don't know. I mean, it seemed like that day when I showed up and I, you know, I raised my hand and I got the ticket and they told me I'm in and all those things are great. But since then, I kind of, you know, do whatever I want to do and live however I want to live. Then you're probably living in this life where you're going, I'm a bit confused. Let me share with you one other thing that happens is, is that when we take the justification and we go, yeah, that's just for the pastors and the elders and all those religious people at the church. And, you know, but for me, I'm in, so I'm all good. Here's the other thing it does. You ready? It confuses everybody in your family around you. Because here's the thing. If I told you I'm married to Shadley, but I lived with another woman and I had four children from her and I, lived, I had a house on the east side of town. I had a house on the west side of town. You go, who are you married to again? No, I'm married to Shadley. Well, but, but you live with another woman on the other side of town. You kind of either are married to her and you act like it or you're not. Point, point made? Christian walk. When we are the bride of Christ, you are called, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called the what? The wife of Christ. Doesn't it make sense that you live with him? Doesn't it make sense that you go from being sanctified by letting the Holy Spirit of God lead your life to where now you actually walk with him? And what that byproduct looks like is this, as we read last week in the verses, we now have confidence and we have a, a courage in our faith. God did not intend for anything for us to look like mushy pea faith. He didn't intend for that. And let me share you with you a very important thing. I believe in, I like concentric circles. If Jesus Christ is the concentric circle, the hub of my life, then here's what he says. If I'm in the center, what will happen is in the next concentric circle, I will begin to influence and permeate and be involved in that next layer. And what's the next layer? It's in here. 
found right here in our text, 1 John chapter 3, and that is, is that it will make a difference in your family. And before we get to there, let me, let me, uh, let me catch up with my notes here. Sorry. Just walked a little bit ahead of myself. I might get tendonitis from all the clicking I'm having to do here. First uh, John chapter 3. I want to say this before I get to verse 1. First John chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. We're going to get down to the end of it. I love the apostle. He says, all right, now I'm writing all this so that you'll become a part of the family of God. And let me show you what that outcome looks like. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Remember this? He said, if you've been justified by him and you're walking in the spirit life of sanctification, sorry, if you're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit and you're walking in that, you don't have a sense of condemnation about yourself. The book of 1 John, while written against the Gnostic world, and Pastor Doug has talked extensively about that Gnostic world and neo-Gnosticism and all those kinds of things, is that's at a philosophical level. At a practical level, it looks like this, is, is that if your life is condemning you, it's because you said, I'll take the ticket, but I want to live however I want to live. And you know what's going on? A very important shift has happened. COVID outed that kind of Christianity. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in COVID, the group around us, the secular humanists around us have said, we are no longer going to tolerate Christianity. We're going to go on the offensive against it. We're no longer going to tolerate it. We're coming after you. We're going to out you. You're bigots. You're this. You're that. You're whatever. And if you don't agree with our moral standards, we are going to slam you against the wall, and we're going to call you every name in the book. You know who that's hardest on? That is hardest on people who say, I'm going to heaven, but I'm not living like that. Just accept me. I'm not one of those crazies that do that and this. I still like everybody. You know what the world is doing in sports? You know what the world is doing in corporations? You know what the world is doing in state agencies? You know what the world is doing in our grad schools and our undergrads? It's putting up this litmus test that says this. If you believe any of that, then you're one of them. That's what's going on in our world. That's why the year has been so hard when someone just says, I'm in, and God says, they're going to attack you. You better have courage and strength by being in and in. See that? That's what's going on right around in the world. So, dear friends, we want to have confidence. So now what we want to do is let's go in. Uh, and, and before we get to that, by the way, let me, let me say a couple of things. Our church is not a church. Um, we will love you. We care about you. We, you should hear the prayer. I mean, we had somebody join our prayer meeting for the staff for, for on Wednesday. On Wednesdays at 1 o'clock, you're welcome to join us anytime you want. 1 o'clock Wednesdays, we pray here in the office, and we pray over the whole church, and we pray for all the needs of the church, and we pray for you as a people of the church. Someone who had never been in on that meeting came on this Wednesday, and, and they talked with me afterwards, and they said, I didn't know that that's what prayer could actually look like. Wow, you guys pray like you really believe that God's going to do something. We do pray that way. Hear me on this. It is out of love for you that we have the courage to stand up and say the truth in a world where they're going to come after people like Pastor Doug and people like Pastor Harv. They're coming after us. They are. 
But we will stand and give the, have the courage because we walk in the way of God and God is greater than us. And by the way, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, so next week's verses, uh, he gives an encouragement to people like us and the people who are walking and all that. He says, hey, remember this, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. He says, when you face it hard, just remember God's in you. He's in you, which is why you want him in you. You want him leading and guiding and directing your life. Hear me, we are not going to pat your back on the way to hell. We're not going to do it. Because patting your back on the way to hell would say this, you know what, the world out there is right, and gee, we're just a little too strong with our beliefs and like that. And man, we just wish you nothing but the best, and we didn't mean to offend your heart or anything like that. We just... We're sorry for telling you the truth. We're not going to be that church. We're, we, we aren't that. You aren't that church, are you? You're not that church. You want to know Jesus. You know what you believe on third down and 10 by the way you act in the critical moments. That's a view I hold on life, right? Um, so in this process, lukewarm Christianity is not going to go very well. In fact, there's a text out of it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 to 17 speaks to what lukewarm Christianity looks like. And this is what Jesus says, if we do roll over and let the culture just steamroll us and we just go, yeah, we just want you to accept us. We want to be nice. We want to be spiritual furniture on, on State Street. And you'll just drive by and go, there's a group of good people. Wow, they got a pantry. Here's what Jesus says about it. I know your deeds that you're neither hot or cold. I wish that you were either one. Look at this. Is it said in the emphatic? In other words, Jesus is saying, I wish you would love me with all you have, or I wish you wouldn't love me at all. And, and, and the second half of that is sometimes hard to believe. You know why he's actually saying that? He's saying, you want to be the most frustrated person in the world. Love me a little. A little dabble of Jesus messes up the whole meal. I got to tell you, I, I, honestly, if I didn't fully believe everything I believed, you, you got to remember, I went to a Christian college. I gave up a, a college baseball scholarship, went to a Christian college for a year. My dad disowned me, wouldn't talk to me for six months. I went to this Bible college because well, I wanted to know if this is true, I want to follow it. If it's not true, I want to be done with it. So that one of you Christians who are all sold out and you're justified and you're sanctified and you're walking by Jesus, and you come to me and say, hey, what do you believe? I could walk through all the theology and probably pick you apart. I needed to know it at that level. And what happened was, like the many others who have raised their fists into heavens, my arm came down slightly out of joint and God said, I, I'm God and you're not. Maybe you might want to you know, get used to that, Right? I know your deeds. I wish you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. God himself says, it, it, it's kind of distasteful. Before you get to judging God too hard, before you get to judging God too hard, let me ask you a question. How many lukewarm relationships do you put up with? When you traded jewelry, were you saying, great, we're going to be lukewarm. It's going to be just, you know, tepid. That's as exciting as it's going to get over in our little villa. Just going to be How many lukewarm employees do you love hiring and keeping around? How many lukewarm people in your life do you enjoy? See, before we get too hard on God, we kind of are that way ourselves, aren't we? We want people who love us. I mean, if a friend says to you, uh, yeah, you know, I just like you because I use you. We don't get on with that, do we? So this is simply God saying, I'm like you, lukewarm, just, you know, nothing to it. Now notice, what creates a lot of lukewarm Christianity 
is that when we have everything we need, verse 17, you say, well, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need anything else. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We are living at the wealthiest moment in the history of the world. And we, as a country, are center stage in the entire world, having more than any other country in the world has. And here we are doing what? Coming apart at the seams. Why? Because we have rejected the truth of God. And you know the first place that they go after? Is that they go after the family. You guys know that in the Bolshevik Revolution that happened in 1917, is that the, the goal of Marxism was is that they would eradicate the church. And you know the two things that they did to eradicate the church in Russia? Two things they did. The first thing they did is that they, and Russia was a country filled with a fabric of deep faith in the Orthodox faith with deep commitment to marriage and family and all those kinds of things. And the two rules they can't, they didn't outlaw the church, but they did two main rules. And then they did one other uh, regulatory thing. Let me show you what they did. And this is how they deconstructed Christianity out of the culture. Number one, they created no fault divorce. You're done, you're done, just sign a piece of paper and that you don't even have to give it to that person. You just take it to an office and it's over and done and you're out of the marriage. That was the first thing they created to destroy the family, no fault divorce. The second thing they did was abortion on demand. Right away, show up, you can have it, no questions asked. You wanna end a life, end a life, do it and it's over and finished. Those two things did what? It took away from the commitment to a biblical family and the second thing is this, is it said, if you have an inconvenience in your life, you can eradicate it by just going and doing this. You know, the third thing they did is that they didn't say you can't meet as a church. They simply said this, you cannot offer social services in the name of God. That's what the state does. So they said to the church, you can't love your neighbor. You can't be kind to them. You don't get to run a food pantry. You don't get to help them out when they've got struggling with their rent. You don't get to be there to be the ones that care for them. We do that. That's the state. Does that sound anything like what we're experiencing in our world today? What's just going on? So he comes along and says, don't live a lukewarm faith uh, because you have everything you want. Don't eradicate the heart of all those things. Now let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this verse with me. Verse 1 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Here's what he's saying. I have lavished on you the ability. I'll pay the price with my own son's blood for you to be forgiven of your sins so that you can now be filled with my Holy Spirit spirit and you'll be you'll look like my children and I'll love you and I'll adopt you in and I won't have a first class row and a second class row I'll invite all of you in I'll invite all of you in and you'll come to know me and you'll walk in this gospel that says I am forgiven of God and I am blessed by his spirit to now know how to go live life and he says at the end of that verse people won't know what to do with you because they didn't know what to do with him Hear me on this. One of the greatest struggles that the church is going through, and it started in the 1910s of, last year, uh, of the last uh, century. One of the things that struggled was this, is that a group of people were leading churches in the inner city, and one of the things that they did is that they moved away from preaching the biblical gospel to preaching a social gospel that simply just said, just walk and call yourself a believer, and here's what we'll do. We'll just give you stuff. We'll just give you stuff. 
And what happened was is that we had whole denominations that got focused on just giving handouts rather than teaching biblical truth, rather than showing what the, what the heart and truth of God is because the beginning of the condition we all have is this, is that we all have a sin stain on our souls. We all do. And God comes along and says, I'll forgive you. Now, why do we have family? Why would he go to family? Is it why did God call us? He has lavished on us. The Father has lavished us on that we should be called the children of God. Why was family so important to God that he first off put us in his and then second of all, put us together as families? Because in a family, we are called to have a safe place to learn the most foundational and beautiful things that are a part of making it in life. Let me ask you a question. If not in a family, where do you learn true forgiveness and true ability to make up with someone after you've gone wrong with them? If not in a family, where do you find out how to have true and meaningful love rather than just attraction love or sexual love or a love that says, I'll love you as long as you give me what I want? Aren't we supposed to learn that in a family? You know what most powerful relationships in the world are? A healthy relationship of love between a father and his daughter that is completely asexual, that is simply, I love you and care for you, and I'll show you what it looks like to love someone, and then the mother's relationship with the son. Because what happens in those relationships is this, is that we learn to love and to reciprocate love with nothing other than I care about you. There's a book, there, in the Bible, there's a, a, a verse, uh, sorry, there, there's a, there are three, four different words for the word love, but the word that you should know about here is filial love. It's in a family that we learn caregiving love. In the world, we only find out about Eros love. Wow, she's hot. Wow, he's hot. Wow, they're great looking. Wow, they're this. That's Eros love. Eros love is the fire and the sizzle of love. You know what every woman wonders when a guy really starts to come towards her and has an interaction and wants to maybe ask her? She wants to know this question. She knows he's already attracted, right, women? You know he's already attracted, right? I mean, he looked at you and he goes, wow, she's really beautiful. What does a woman want to know? Are you unselfish and would you care for me the way you care about yourself? What's the first question that the girlfriend asks? Oh, I know he's cute and I know he's great and he wears Wranglers and all those kinds of cool things and like that. Does he care about you? Isn't that what a real girlfriend asks about it, right? Because she's going, I'm getting a little, you know, she's got a meter going off. She's going, I think he's all about him and he's all about him and he's all about him. Because your girlfriend is there to look out for you to say, caregiving love matters. We learn that in a family. That's what we intended to learn that. Let me ask you another question. Where else do we learn committed love? But in a family. A committed love says that Shadley and I say, you know what, 31 years, good days, bad days, all the days in the middle of all those kinds of things. But what we learn to do is forgive, continue on, and continue to love. That's committed love. Where else but in a family do we learn real encouragement? You know when someone gives you encouragement and it's fake, right? You stuck out four times in a ball game. You walk off and someone says, man, you did great. You did great. I like that. And you want to look at them and go, do, do you even know me? Right? As a parent, you go, hey, look, it didn't go the way you wanted it to go, but I want to tell you something. You're working hard, you're getting better, and I believe in you. Keep going, kid. That's in a family. 
God set it up to be in a family. Where else do we learn fortitude but in a family? Where else do we learn to have friendship? Even if I don't like everything about you, I still can learn to be your friend. We do that in a family. Where do we learn mutual respect? Where do we learn self-respect? All those things are in a family. Where do we learn them? We learn them here in a church as well, and that's how we do it with each other. Look, when we have a struggle or two with each other, that's normal. The important part of it is we work it out. Instead of doing this, we back up, we open up, and we come together under the banner of, hey, you know what? God will lead us. We'll get right, we'll get right on this. That's Christian love. The secular humanist world around us looks to destroy all of that. The secular humanist world around us says, you know what? We're going to tear apart the family because they're not perfect. Deconstructionism is this. If I look through, if I drink, look at this entire bottle of water and go, wow, it's all really great and like that, and I take it to the lab and they find one little bitty thing that doesn't really matter, but it's not supposed to be in there, throw the whole thing out. That's what we're doing with family. That's what's being done is that we're dismantling all these things and these tools are out there to do all those kinds of things. The current state of affairs is they move from tolerating us in our love for families to now working to dismantle uh, uh, our families. Pastor Doug on his podcast, if you don't listen to his podcast, you're you're, you're missing two times a week, 30 good minutes. On his podcast on Thursday, he talked directly about this. Hear me on this. This is not a political statement at all. I'm simply reading the words off of the Black Lives Matter website. This is what they said they intend to do. They said this. I'll read it for you. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention. The intention, our goal, is to free ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. They're saying this, we are coming together with the intention of peeling apart the idea that a marriage between a husband and a wife is right. They're saying that. That's their own words. Then here's the next step. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. We disrupt it. In other words, we're here to tear it apart, dismantle it by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children. Now catch this line to the degree that the mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Now, wait a minute. What they're saying is this. We're going to dismantle it one Lego at a time as long as you're comfortable watching us do that. We're going to take one more Lego and one more Lego and one more Lego and one more Lego until what we do is we completely pull it apart. Notice one other thing that's in, the, is in that manifesto. Their word's not mine. What else is in there? They never mention fathers. They never mention fathers. The culture around us has said the men don't matter in the equation anymore. Now think this out for a second. Violence in our culture has erupted since the middle of last year. City after city after city after city is coming apart at the seams. The outcome is the outcome is the outcome. Why did God in his first thing in 1 John chapter 1, after he taught us about being justified and being sanctified, about now walking, as he said, you're in a family because a family is what holds it together. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But the world around you has said this. We used to tolerate you. Now you're bigots. Now you're bigots if you don't agree with everything we agree in. I'm like, really? 
Really? Friends, the world is coming at your life. And they're coming after your kids. They are. They're telling them that. They're sharing it with them distinctly. They took that down, by the way, off of their website. You can't see it on their website anymore because what happened was is people pushed back and they went, well, 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 no, 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 no. You misunderstood us and like that. Really? Why is it still going on? Why are they still perpetuating the same intentions? They just took it down off of the web. No, it's still being done. And it's still being done in people's lives over and over and over again. Let's keep going. Verse two, we need to, we'll keep moving on into all of this. Uh, so we move to the end. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. Part of the struggle of this to this is that this is a faith walk. It's not blind faith. It just means this. Don't get discouraged. We're not in heaven yet. Your family should reflect the goodness of heaven, but your family is not perfect yet. Your kids are going to do things that are wrong. Your spouse is going to do things that are wrong. You're going to let each other down along the way. So what do we do? We emulate God. We forgive. We grow in our walk and life with each other, and we stay together. Remember the freezing motto? Stay together, pray together, play together, stay together. I want to give you five real practical things that I think are very important about how we continue going on in this life, and that is this is that a biblical life is a proactive life. And by the way, from just being personal, this has been our family run for the last 20 some years. We have lived by this very little structure that I'll put in front of you, straight out of the word. One, be proactive, not reactive. Two, be intentional, not haphazard. Number three, be godly, not secular. Four, be biblical. Don't be deceived by all the current teaching floating and going on around there. And life, that is a patient process that we are working towards. We're growing in maturity. We always use this line between us as husband and wife. We're not raising kids. We're raising adults who happen to be kids now. We're raising them to be able to stand on their own two feet and face the world and have critical thinking and to think about right decisions and wrong decisions and understand what consequences look like and how all of that works so that they can then go face the real world that's out there. We're raising adults who happen to be kids now. Do my kids have wonderful uh, summertime life and all that kind of stuff and enjoyable lifetime? Are they kids? They're kids. They're having a wonderful time. They play sports. They enjoy. We swim. We do all that. It's not like we have some prescriptive model at the freezing house where it better be proactive and uh, come live with us a little bit. That ain't what happens. You kidding me? We got a circus going on over there and the elephants are in ring three doing their little bit. We have a blast. Let me show you the difference. Ready, Christian? Hear this. We let God set the agenda, not the world. We proact rather than react. If all you're doing is reacting to what's going on out there, you are doing something that will destroy your life. And you ready for it? You will live a fear-based life rather than a faith-based life. A faith-based life says I will be proactive and I will have an intentionality about how we do what we do. Uh, we will seek to have God direct and guide and lead our lives. We will trust his word to show us how to walk and be and live with each other. And we will believe that life is a patient process whereby we are all growing up in this process of justification that leads to sanctification because we desire to walk with God. My kids have got college educations, degrees, economics, accountants, blah, blah, blah. But you know what's so important to me? They married believers. They married believers who bend their knee at the gospel of Jesus Christ and who say, Lord, lead us, guide us, be together. Because you know what that does? Is that creates an operating system that says, uh, God is the one who justifies us. God is the one who sanctifies us. And we want to walk in harmony with each other because we want to have the same operating system uh, together. God, lead our lives. Where would you start? 
Let me give you a place to start. And it's, if you're reading on the app, by the way, it's in the notes all the way down at the bottom. But it talks about how we would start as a family. And it would be practical about how we begin. And it is this. Family is God's first idea when it comes to humanity. Where do we start? We pray together as a family. Do you know why praying is so hard to do? Because praying outs me as selfish. It outs me as selfish. Think about how most of us have been taught to pray. God, give me this, and God, give me this, and God, give me this, and God. Show me in the Bible where it ever says all that list. There's one place Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what I pray over my family is give us this day our daily bread emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, relationally, and intellectually. I want the fullness of all of us to have our daily bread need because I guarantee you have needs today that are intellectual, needs today that are physical, needs today that are emotional, needs today that are spiritual. I round it out. Chadley and I, we round it out with all that, but we pray doing that. Because we want God to be our provision. But here's a normal thing. God, give me this, and I need this job, and I need... Think about it. We go to God the same way that our eight-year-old comes to us, and when we see him coming to us, we're like, what are you on now? That is not how we pray. I want to teach you a couple things on how to pray. I want you to see this prayer that's up here on the screen, and you might see it up here on the big screen. But you know how I learned to pray? I learned to pray by the learning the prayers of other people. Look what this pray, Look at this prayer. Maybe you, you might even just jump in and start doing these prayers. By the way, a great resource. Ready? If you want to write it down. The power of a praying parent. The power of a praying parent, it's guided my life on how to pray over my family. Because I, I honestly, I don't know where to start. This helped me. Lord, may the beauty of your spirit be so evident in me that I will be a godly role model for my child. Give me the communication, teaching, and nurturing skills that I must have. And I would, when I'm reading someone else's prayer, by the way, I go off script, okay? And so I might pray like this. Lord, give me those nurturing skills that I must have because, God, you know I'm lacking the ability to patiently teach at times with my four-year-old or my whatever-year-old it would have been. Lord, grow me into being the kind of parent you want me to be and teach me how to pray and truly intercede for them. You notice that parenting your children starts with praying for yourself first. See how that is? Hear me on this. If you want the perfect spouse, be one. You want a perfect kid, be a better parent. We always want to change someone else so that they will equip, uh, be uh, equipped to do what we want them to do. And you know what Jesus does? Is he comes in and says, start with you. How about you start with you? Start with you. Look at the prayer and how it finishes up. In Jesus' name, I ask that you increase my faith to believe for all things that you put my, on my heart to pray for this child, for concerning for this child. So, and so maybe right then God will prompt you and he'll tell you right away, Pray for them about how they are handling school today because they're struggling more than you realize. I've heard the Lord say that in my life and I pray over my kid. Guys, praying gets us in the game. It gets us in the game, but it is so hard to begin to do. I've given you four of them. Look at these. I mean, there's four of them that are up there. By the way, they're so easy to go find. The Power of a Praying Parent, it's on the web. Just look it up. Stormy O. Martin is the person that wrote the book. Following Truth and Rejecting Lies, pray that prayer. Maintaining Good Family Relationships, pray that prayer. Uh, instilling the Desire to Learn, pray those prayers. That's how we do it. We get in the game one day at a time. One day at a time. First John. Chapter 3, we're invited into God's family because we were made justified by Jesus. And now he comes along and says, hey, Harv, grow up in me. 
Let, your, let my Holy Spirit lead you so that when you walk, you will have confidence in me and you will have courage when a world comes after you and beats on your faith. Thanks for being here this morning. May the Lord God have blessed you. Thank you for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.